Hello, and welcome to CMO Combos, the CMO Alliance podcast, the show where we get the opportunity for conversations with CMOs and top-level marketers around the world on what it takes to be a modern CMO. Today, I'm speaking to Alan Gleason, fractional CMO for B2B SaaS startup companies and founder of Work With Agility, on the big differences between being a startup CMO in Europe and the States and what skills CMOs need to survive and thrive in that environment. Hi, Alan. Welcome back to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? Very well, Will. Listen, great to get a chance to talk to you again. So thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I mean, it was great to speak to you last time. It was great to speak to you again. Um, like really, really interesting stuff in, in the last episode, talking about the, um, the B2B startup SaaS landscape in Europe, which is something you're an expert on. And again, we're talking about something that's uh, very much your expertise. We're talking about being a fractional CMO. It's something we touched on briefly in the, um, in the last episode. So maybe you could introduce yourself just a bit briefly since people have met you before on the show and talk a bit about what it means to be a fractional CMO in the, the modern day. Sure, so well, yes, I'm a, a B2B SaaS consultant um, based in London and supporting companies that I guess that are usually BC backed will looking to accelerate growth and they're looking for some sort of strategic support and um, fractional CMOs are, um, I mean, they're not new concepts, but they are, I guess, growing in popularity, whereby you're not a full-time CMO and CMO is chief marketing officer. So often the difficulty with a full-time chief marketing officer for many of these companies is they're probably pre-series B, right? So they're kind of in that window, which lots of SaaS startups are sitting. Um, and... You know, firstly, it's difficult to hire full-time CMOs that have got B2B and SaaS experience. There's not a whole lot of them out there. And secondly, they'll often command um, fairly significant salaries in the market. So there's a difficulty filling out that C-suite if you're kind of pre-Series B, unless, of course, you've had significant traction and you're already well on your scale-up journey, then you can potentially fund it from cash flow. But many kind of fall into the bucket of, you know, they're not quite able to, but they need the sort of leadership in the function. And that's where I come in. So I work with clients that um, I can help probably a day a week, but obviously I'd work every day, but the time would add up to probably equivalent of a day a week where I'm giving direction, helping with the sort of strategic issues, everything from composition of the team, KPIs you should be targeting on, activities you'd be focused on for lead gen. So there's some of the things that uh, you get to do. And yeah, I find it a very rewarding sort of uh, way to um, to work with clients. Definitely, it sounds it because I mean, maybe it's just me, but as a marketer, I love variety. I love having a variety of different projects to work on. That sounds like something being a, a fractional CMO would allow you to do. Having all these different different challenges going on at the same time, different um, projects you need to be working on in different ways. Is, is that something that attracted you to the role initially? Yeah, I mean, it, it did, right? So, um, it, it, of course, there are challenges trying to juggle lots of balls, so you have to be kind of uh, very well organized, right? So, um, you, you know, you've got to be managing your time carefully. You've got to be um, very focused on the, the client requirements. But the variety does appeal to me. But I guess the other thing that appeals to me is you end up then with a, with a, a much deeper knowledge pool to draw on. So you're sort of essentially... Um, you know, getting lessons across different companies at different stages of the journey. And you again end up with this, I mean, it's an overstated phrase, flywheel effect, whereby you can short circuit lessons a lot quicker for clients, which means you're spotting patterns a lot quicker, which can bring a lot of value to the right clients. So the variety piece really appealed to me. I guess the other thing, you know, that, that did appeal again for those interested in, in the kind of journey was, um, 
you know, I had been a head of marketing and I had been a full-time chief marketing officer for BC-backed um, B2B sales company. So I had been in, in, in the hot seat for a number of different clients. And there's no doubt that it's a very volatile role. You're in the firing line a lot. And, you know, the tenure for many CMOs in B2B SaaS is probably only a couple of years, which means it's, you know, there isn't a whole lot of security there. And we kind of go into that later as to why that is the case. But there is a lot of um, insecurity in it. So by you know, spreading classic portfolio risk, right? Spreading your eggs uh, into different baskets, it, it gives you some uh, attractive elements too around you know, not having that, um, that kind of churn that happens. And, and, and kind of the churn can happen for a whole host of reasons, you know, nothing, nothing to do with performance, but it can be a whole, whole mix of different motivations for, for changing the CMO. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's one one of the biggest issues facing the role is uh, sort of the short tenure. Do you think having fractional CMO experience would be beneficial to try and reduce that the the chance of that churn? Like, do you think people can sort of like jump into a fractional CMO role for a few years, build up experience working in these different um, startups, and getting awareness of the different warning signs? As you said, if something needs to be tackled, do you think yeah. having that fractional CMO experience could help you shit transition into like a more effectively into like a full-time CMO role? It's a good question. So normally I'd say the journey comes the other way, Will. I, I think you come from a position of having worked in the full-time roles um, and then you kind of transition into it. Um, I haven't really thought about it going back the other way. A lot of people are pretty comfortable with, with the model to those in situ in, in, as fractional CMOs because I guess you're your own boss, you're more in control of your time. You can kind of de-risk it from a, from a client point of view in terms of who you work with because you know, the kind of key point here is that B2B SaaS companies, particularly the ones that are pre-Series B, are, you know, they're essentially a base of assumptions that the CEO has made. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically pitching on a, it's not a proven business, right? That's the whole point of B2B SaaS startups. They're not established businesses. They're essentially, um, you know, assumptions that someone has made. They've raised capital on the back of it, and then they're looking to deliver a solution into the marketplace at scale. But, you know, there's lots of misfires around the way. There isn't product market fit with some. You can back the wrong. You could be a great, you know, jockey on the wrong horse. Um, so it's a very kind of um, challenging environment. So I, I guess you could definitely transition back. And there's no doubt you'd, no doubt you'd be a much stronger um, CMO for it. But if you did, I think you'd probably be looking to go back into sort of those that are post-Series B where there's a little bit more certainty around the future trajectory of the company whereby you can you know you can bring your your skills to bigger resourcing to, to bigger market opportunities with bigger teams so so there's some things to definitely think about but your premise is right i think it does mean you could go back in at a higher level and it's interesting what you said about um like uh, being a, a being in the SaaS marketplace is all about potential it's all about promises that things could happen and i suppose being a fractional cmo sort of shields you against potential failure of 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 startups i suppose because you you're getting the experience from them but you don't have the the full-on investment from being a full-time employee there um do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to how you approach marketing like because lots of people talk about you have to be passionate about marketing do you think you can get passionate about things as as a fractional cmo yeah, look, there's no doubt. I mean, anybody that's worked with me, I mean, passion is sort of what I bring to the table in abundance. I think it's in your DNA, right? And I sort of, I think you can, right? I think 
you, you have some extra um, tools in your tool case in terms of you can be a lot more direct, right? Because it works both ways. You can call things out more. You're not getting political um, because, you, you know, you're, you're very much trying to align with what's best for the company. So there are definitely some, some elements like that, which are, which are actually very important. The other sort of funny thing in terms of the role, right, is that really the thing to remember is the B2B SaaS journeys are actually quite long, you know? So again, I don't have the data to hand, but it's not like it's two or three years and you're, you're exited and you're done and dusted. You know, one of my clients, for example, at the moment, um, raised a series A just last year. I worked with them as a full-time marketing person in 2012, 2013. And, you know, I'm back in working with them in 2020, 2021. So, the journey is really, really long. And, you know, to use a phrase, you know, very few in the marketing function will ever stay on the bus, right? The, the kind of one or two roles that usually stay that stay on the journey will be the founder, um, provided they are obviously staying on a growth trajectory, and often a CTO who may be a co-founder who may be maybe early in. But when you're looking at other functions, operations, HR, sales, marketing, you know, there's just no, I mean, Again, I'm making some generalizations, but the odds that you come in on the first, you know, first few months, first year and stay the, the length of time, you know, it happens. Of course it happens, but highly improbable. So I think that's the kind of nature of the marketing function. And, um, and I look at the last point on it is that, you know, there's one piece that um, often gets overlooked is that, you know, marketing can, you know, need different requirements in different stages of the journey. So you could argue in the early few years for B2B SaaS, your product marketing piece is the strongest piece. You know, then you kind of transition into, you know, lead gen and demand gen become kind of the key piece that you might need to be focused on. And then after that, you might transition into kind of internationalization and brand awareness, which again are slightly different things again. So the, the odds of the, the one CMO having, you know, deep domain knowledge in these various disciplines, and I'm not even talking about things like activation, retention, all those other things. So I think it's a, a skill set that you probably will get, you know, a certain tenure, and then somebody might be better placed to take it to the next level. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, being a fractional CMO, would it be preferable to specialize in certain things within, like certain, say, specialize in very, very early stage, and then only work with very, very early stage? Or, as you said, like you've been brought in at later stages like is that more of an advantage to have a sort of like a broader knowledge of like how things progress and how things develop or is it better to focus on like very very specific parts of growth and and other aspects to do with startups yeah i mean for me well i, I think there's definitely a sense that i i'm transitioning more into those that are further along right so closer to series b and above because i guess you know one of the challenges with the the kind of Series A level ones are, for want of a better phrase, um, and I do use the VC terminology quite a bit because you know it, it is difficult to, to to bootstrap a B2B SaaS company. Um, I mean, I have one client that is bootstrapped, and I know a couple of others that are bootstrapped that I've kind of worked with. But by and large, you, you know, it is a kind of a sector where the unit economics are quite kind of unusual, and that you you generally benefit a lot from having. You, you know, VC investment, or it doesn't have to be VC investment, but certainly deep pockets um, because, you know, you're expending a lot of cash for sales and marketing up front. And of course, the whole working assumption is that the revenue is coming in, you know, into the years, into the future. So it does stress you from a cash point of view. But kind of getting back to the question, you know, I do think that, um, yeah, you know, my journey is definitely transitioning to, you know, series B and beyond because, 
you start running into kind of issues with the earlier ones with just lack of resources, right? So, you know, you don't have the budget, you don't have the team size to execute. So all of a sudden, um, you know, you, you, you begin to, your impact is, isn't, isn't as, as kind of powerful. So, so I think you can cover all grounds. But what I would say is if you're probably getting into a fractional CMO and you're more junior in your career, then being more focused on the early stage ones makes sense because they won't have deeper pockets and probably you won't need to be managing a team of five or six. You know, you may just need one person to manage at that point and you use a few freelancers for other bits and your your, your kind of budgets are quite modest. So I think then you transition um, further up fields as you as you kind of grow your maturity in the in the function. When it comes to picking the the clients to work with, like how how selective do you have to be? Like do you do you feel like you are picking clients to work with more than they're picking you to work with them kind of thing? Like what how how do you approach choosing clients that you work with? It's a great question. So uh, a, a lot of it are word of mouth, right? So again, you know, the fact you're freelance, the fact that I probably have four or five clients on the go at, at any one point um, means that there's a sort of stability and, and, and there's sort of, I'm working you know, for, for long periods of time without needing um, new clients or without looking for new clients. So, you know, often it's word of mouth and that helps de-risk it for me compared to a complete unknown inbound. Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to sort of align on that. And then it's a case of, trying to understand their, their challenge and, and, you know, wh- whether I can help them. So it, it's really a case for me more about are they, are they B2B SaaS, are they VC backed? I mean, the other factor that I think is important was that I do look for having execution capability in the team. So if they don't have a, a marketing junior in the team, I definitely wouldn't touch um, working with them then because otherwise you end up with a, a long list of things to do. And, and nobody to do it because, of course, you can't delegate to anybody. So you definitely need somebody that's in the team that can kind of action the various things that you find and uncover. And part of your job is to kind of prioritize, but you do need someone to be able to delegate. So, so there's some of the things I think about. So, you, so you're not going into a role and doing all the marketing for someone. You're advising them on how to do the marketing, basically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the theory. I mean, sometimes you end up doing stuff, right? So, so yeah. it's... Um, you know, in my head, I'm always trying to stay as sort of um, out of the weeds as possible. But sometimes, you, you know, you just do need to do stuff right. And, um, you know, I tend to do, I, I look at data quite a lot. So I will often do things like an analysis of Google Analytics data or Google Search Console data, record a short Loom video um, saying, look, here are the things that I'm spotting and here are the actions that need to be done. Um, but by and large, it is a case of, you know, and sometimes it will vary. So I have had clients where they have had specific requirements like, you know, US Series C companies looking to do market entry into Europe. In that instance, it would be quite hands-on. Um, sorry, and, and that's worth clarifying. So, you know, the, the broad kind of kind of level of my work is the fractional CMO, which, which is the sort of um, the head of marketing on a, on a um, part-time basis. But I do also do some work for other clients that would be, you know, if they're looking to raise VC and they need help with um, a B2B SaaS deck, um, helping to work in that, or as I mentioned, if there's American companies looking to break into Europe and try to understand um, the European landscape. So, so I do sort sometimes help clients on that basis too. I mean, because you've got experience in, in economics and banking, don't you, which kind of gives you that, that extra string to your bow. Is that, is that something that's proved really helpful in terms of finding clients as a as a fractional CMO, having that extra extra skill resource on top of your, like your marketing knowledge? 
Yeah, look, look, it is it is an important point because unit economics are kind of really important and data and numbers for, for B2B SaaS. So I'm not your typical, um, you know, marketer from that point of view in that I have, you know, my primary degree was in economics and marketing a long, long time ago. Um, I did an MSc in, in strategic marketing, again, back quite a long time ago. Uh, and I think I've also run a small software company. So I have a kind of broader operational sort of, um, kind of skill set that I do think helps helps with credibility. It helps with kind of confidence. It helps with with kind of prioritization. So there's some of the things that definitely do help. But then the flip side, I'd make the point that you know when I left university, there was no B two B SaaS, right? It didn't exist, right? There, there was no such thing. Okay, this is back in the uh, in the nineties, right? Um, and similarly, you know, there was no such thing as digital marketing, right? So again, it's worth remembering we're in a kind of this space where it is a fairly new discipline and therefore, you know, academic credentials might give you a bit of a grounding in economics, which I think is just useful for, for business anyway. But, you know, modern marketing stuff is very modern and, and therefore you are kind of needing to be more tuned with the kind of latest marketing um, theories and practices than ones that would have been taught 20 years ago. Then I mean that's important to both in-house and fractional CMOs. You've got to be on the cusp. You've got to be aware of all the digital marketing trends and stuff like that. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So when when did you feel read feel ready to sort of launch yourself as a fractional CMO? Did you have like enough clients ready to go? Like had you built up the connections necessary to sort of hit the ground running, or was there a bit of like an an in, in between period where you try to build up connections and stuff like that? Yeah, no, again, a good point, right? So again, pre-COVID, you know, I was very active in in networking, right, in terms of particularly B2B SaaS communities. So um, based in London gives you, you know, an easy access to some of the sort of um, events that were being run. And then things like SaaS stock would have been, um, you know, an annual event in Dublin, um, which was one I would have attended. So, you know, I, I knew people and I had, I had been writing quite a bit of B2B SaaS content as well on Medium. Um, which was, you know, being picked up by people and sort of um, so, so gave me some awareness. And then I guess, you know, over a 20-year career, having worked in banking, having studied in the UK, having studied in Ireland, having spent time in the US, um, you know, you, you just build up contacts along the way. So, you know, when I ended up leaving full-time work and, um, you know, straight away I had kind of a couple of people I spoke to that you know, would have been in the kind of category of people that I would have been looking for and straight away they were looking for support, which meant they had clients, um, you know, with, you know, pretty much on the get-go. And I think the kind of piece here that's relevant for, for others is, you know, there's this notion of personas are ideal customer profiles. And, and, you know, mine was really clear, right? So the, the buyers of, you know, services like people like me were, VC-backed CEOs, they're usually male, 40 to 55, um, no head of marketing in situ, you know, ambitious for growth. They read content online because they're trying to learn the stuff themselves. They typically will, will attend SaaS stock. They listen to podcasts that are on marketing and B2B SaaS. So for me, you know, you could quickly then, if you, if you needed to sort of spike um, demand, you, you know, or generate demand, you, you, you kind of knew who fitted your kind of persona and where you could access them. So again, you know, being active on LinkedIn and, posting content that sort of helped people make sense of this world by adding values for your content meant that again, that I had connections that I could always leverage if I needed to. 
So I mean, it's basically taking like a content marketing, like a, a marketing strategy and applying it to how you find work, which is a great approach, I think. Right. And I, and I guess the, the kind of the, the, the elephant in the room, of course, is I probably haven't been doing much in that for the last few years because I've been constantly busy, right? Uh, and then it begs the question, so Alan, why don't you scale? And I think that's probably, you know, a fair question that you, you could, you know, a natural evolution would be from freelance CMO to, to potentially you know, starting an agency. And I guess part of me is I'd be more passionate about, you know, running a B2B SaaS company myself, not not building an agency. I, I, I see the attractions of that model, but I also see, you, you, you know, that if I did want to commit to something, I'm, I'm going to go to B2B SaaS and, and build a software application and build a software company, not, a, not an agency. So it's a strange one that way because, you know, everyone's ambitious to grow, but you know, once I'm doing work that I find interesting and I'm passionate about with clients that I like and I'm having an impact with them, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my current uh, status. And again, that will evolve over time. But I mean, that, that is one of the issues facing a lot of CMOs who are thinking about their career development is a lot of the time, the next step or the next few steps takes them further away, further away from the marketing function. They might move to like a COO position or a CEO position or a managing director position, which might not necessarily be their passion. Whereas like being a fractional CMO kind of keeps you in that space, doesn't it? It allows you to stay close to marketing functions. It allows you to stay in business types that you enjoy, environments you enjoy. Do you think that's what has kept you sort of in this kind of mindset of sticking to like being a freelance CMO idea? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I guess, you know, a slight tweak on that in that, you know, I do get involved in sales and operations mm-hmm. and products, but... But not not in a heavy-handed way, but sort of spotting things that you know. Again, I've learned over the years, and and, and simple things like you know, you can often focus in, in a lead gen capacity on um, you know a funnel, but but actually when you get people to uh, you know to the site and you're getting them signed up, are you looking at the activation rates? Are you looking at the onboarding? Are you looking so so there's always areas in in you know, broader remit, I guess, that, that I can bring to bear. And, you know, you pick things up over the years that, um, you know, I, one of my main clients is, is a cybersecurity company. And, you know, now I know the importance of cybersecurity, which means I can sort of bring some of that information back to other clients, even though it doesn't sit in the marketing bucket. You know, I can quickly short circuit when I spot things and say, well, hold on a minute, guys, this doesn't look secure. Have you, you know, have you thought about, Doing a pen test, or have you thought about doing it and doing an audit on your on your cyber and capability, or have you looked at things like second factor authentication being in, installed on all your apps? So, so I guess while I'm in the function, I think I can lend value in other areas. But part of it, of course, is you know you don't want to overwhelm either, and you're just another opinion. But I guess part of it is is bringing that experience and saying, look, it's almost like sharing stories, right? It's not being a case of dogmatic about this the way to do things but sharing stories that you think can inform when there are people are trying to make decisions in in moving areas or challenging areas to make decisions so this this broad experience and knowledge is going to be very very helpful to being a fractional cmo what other skills are quite i wouldn't say unique to the fractional cmo role compared to the the cmo role but what what skills and types of knowledge would you advise people to develop and focus on if they're thinking about breaking into sort of a fractional CMO approach to their, their career? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of things. So um, you, you end up being a little bit more direct because your, your time is quite um, constrained, right? 
So, so that comes with challenges because, of course, it can be hard to build relationships when you're when you're being direct, right? And one of the things, of course, is you are essentially creating work for others because you know what you're trying to do is um, essentially you know people have been doing work right, and you're kind of coming in critiquing it, and you're coming in. And in many instances, you're spotting things that are, are, are problematic. And I'll give you an example of a typical one, Will. So a number of my clients, I'll go in and they will have had someone in content, you know, for the last six or eight months, you know, writing content. And I now have a nose for looking at content, in, you know, if it's been optimized from an SEO point of view or if it's actually been written with target personas in mind. I can quickly spot if it hasn't or it hasn't. The reality is in most instances, you, you know, the content isn't really, well, it's not SEO optimized and it's usually, it can be too entry level or it mightn't be adding enough value. And then I go and have a look at Google Analytics and I see that, that sort of 10 people have read the blog, right? And then you go to the, the CEO with, with, they've had someone in, the, in that, that role for quite a while and, you know, they haven't known that, that their content hasn't been delivering any real value, right? So all of a sudden you've exposed this issue which you then have a playbook to fix. But of course, there's an implicit criticism of the person that's in situ. So, you know, you, you've got to marry this directness and, and try and build relationships, which of course is hard to know that you're remote. So, so there are some of the things that I think are, are a little bit um, different about it and you have to be kind of aware of that, right? So. You know, you're you're almost external, but also internal. So you want to bring the directness, you want to bring the um, the 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 evidence, but you want to have it backed up with analytics. But you're also going to be implicitly criticizing. And, and look, often the criticism is more a case of a lack of awareness. Going back to an earlier point about the kind of skill deficiency in, in some of this, um, but also. You know, just people didn't know. It's not like they're doing, but if they don't know this stuff, they don't know this stuff. So it's it's no it's no. You know, but I guess then you're on a journey of, look, is there an appetite to go on the journey with you? And of course, you need to provide evidence to say, actually, here's what I'm thinking. Here's examples of it working. So uh, I've labored the point a little bit, but I guess, you're, you know, it is unusual from that point of view. And, and you kind of have to be evidence based and, you know, working on relationships, but you're also quite direct. So it, it can be difficult from that point of view. Because I, I suppose um, in a lot of the conversations I've had with a um with CMOs on the show, one of the issues that does crop up a lot is the importance of having those close relationships with other key stakeholders in in, in an organization, um, with like the the head of sales, like the, the head of finance, stuff like that. How do you develop those kinds of connections as a fractional CMO where you have a very, very limited amount of time? Like, do you just charge straight in and say, like, this is how it has to be? This is the evidence, or do you have time to build up those kinds of like working relationships that other CMOs really need to rely on? You know, it, look, it's an important point, and, and the reality is, is that that's one of the real drawbacks of the role, right? You know, you're 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 time pressed, or you're always time pressed, and there's always a thousand things to do, and you're trying to make judgment calls on on, on what are the things to prioritize. And again, that comes a little bit easier with experience, but it does mean then that you are conceding on things that um, a normal CMO would not. So you're absolutely right. You, you know, often in the work I do, your kind of main stakeholder is the CEO. You don't really get an opportunity to build much of a relationship with the CFO. I mean, you might 
ask some questions around the unit economics and try and understand um, the kind of basic metrics of the company. You might look to work on forecasts and budgeting, but yeah, you definitely don't get the chance to sort of um, book in a half an hour a weekly meeting, which you should, right? If you're full-time, you should be talking, to, as your point, to your, to your head of product, your head of sales and your finance. You should be meeting those three um, you know, probably 30 minutes each week. And of course, they're time pressed as well and they may not prioritize it. So it is it is a it is a bit of a drawback to the model at that point. I guess the only thing I would say is if you have to choose um, you know, the bit that I find, and this goes to full-time CMOs as well, by the way, that, that often is the one that misfires the most is that kind of head of head of sales piece whereby like the sales function really, you know, should be much stronger than the typically are in terms of feedback loops and really bringing a lot more information back to marketing. And similarly, marketing probably needs to be telling sales a lot more around their kind of campaigns that are planned. So so that piece I do see is, is weak in many, you know, circumstances, not just with a fraction of CMO, um, and definitely one that needs to be improved. Well, I suppose silver lining to those situations, it means you're not shackled too long to particularly problematic or issue laden CROs and CPOs that you can you can disentangle yourself from that and be just I don't want to say just the interim CMO but like you're there to do your job you're there to do your project you don't have to get all embroiled in office politics and stuff like that in the same way that other CMOs might have to right but you're, you're also like a SaaS model right so at the same time <laughs> you know going back to the earlier metaphor you, you know I don't want to be churning clients right it takes time to find new ones and you've got to upskill you've got to get to know the industry and you've got to know know the people so you know there's also that interesting kind of you know SaaS model as I said so you you, you don't want to be churned out so you do want longevity of um, tenure with these companies because in some ways you can get more longevity right because you know you're de-risking it for them in terms of there, there's not there's not quite the emotional baggage and the cost of a full-time CMO so you know you're, you're only two or three days a month and you know, you can kind of continue in the role if you're providing a lot of value till the point that they get to the situation where um, some of my clients will, have, you know, get to the point where they do need to hire a head of marketing. And you probably would be involved in that process. And that's your time to step out. So, yeah, you still you still want to get around, along with these people. And it still it makes business sense, too, to get along with these people, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a small world, isn't it? You never know when you're going to end up working again with other people, do you? Um yeah, yeah, yeah. And part yeah. of it is being like everything in life, right? You, you know, you, 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 you've got to build relationships. You can't function in a world of kind of just doing your own thing, right? You're all interdependent. So, um, so yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so this this has been great, Alan. Um, I'm conscious of uh, of time. Um, perhaps to to wrap things up, let, let's say like, what is your one absolute golden rule piece of advice that you would give to someone who's either thinking about becoming a fractional CMO or someone who's just starting out as a fractional CMO, like what, what would you advise them to really, really focus on in that early, really early part of their career path in this way? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd look at um, having a playbook. So you're almost looking at the different, um, you know, elements that you would normally see in a marketing function and almost rating yourself against each one, but also then having, you know, go-to people for the ones that you were, you know, not so strong on. So for example, you know, my model works most effectively when I've got a, a virtual team. So for example, I work very closely with a freelance Google Ads person. I work very closely with a UI UX specialist. I work very closely with a brand agency. So I guess the kind of the piece of advice is that 
you, you can't do it all yourself. So it's good to have an ecosystem around you that you can drop people in or freelancers. And I often use freelancers more than consultancies because, you know, many of my clients, again, are the pre-series BP. So they are a little bit cash um, resource tight, right? So, so that will be the advice. Just be really clear on the bits that you're, you're you know, you've got gaps um, and fill them with trusted parties that you can um, rely on. So that's probably the main piece of advice. Great advice. Great advice for, for life as well, I think, Alan. Like, fill your life with trusted parties and, and people that you can rely on. Um, absolutely well yeah thank you very much once again Alan it's been it's been really great speaking to you this has been a really really great conversation um, and I'm sure our audience has enjoyed listening to it as well um, thank you audience for listening to us and we'll be back soon with another CMO convert thank you